The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Agile Uprising Podcast. I'm your solo host today, Andy Clef. Last fall, I was taking an IC Agile Certified Professional Systems Coaching class led by Caitlin Walker and John Barrett. And the topic of the triune brain came up. And both of them put a pause on it and said, hmm, we can't really use that triune brain anymore. But we don't yet have a fully shippable replacement, though. So in the meantime, I thought I'd dive in, do some exploration, see what I could find out. Here's the backstory. In the 1960s, American physician and neuroscientist Paul D. McLean proposed a theory, called it the triune brain. And it was a model of the evolution of the vertebrates forebrain and said it explained our behavior. McLean claimed that our brains consisted of three significant structures. Coaches, you know the hand signals. Get the thumb. The reptilian complex, also known as the brainstem. Wrapping around that, the paleomammalian complex, also known as the limbic system. And then take the other hand, put it on top. The neomammalian complex, also known as the prefrontal lobes. So McLean's theory said that these structures were sequentially added along the course of evolution of our species. Uh, same for all mammals. The older parts being the brain stem, followed by the limbic system, and the newest being those prefrontal lobes. His theory went further and said all three parts were independently conscious with their own specific functions. That brainstem, called the reptilian part, was in charge of our primal instincts. The limbic system was in charge of our emotions. And the neocortex, responsible for objective or rational thoughts, higher functions, executive functions. So you know that phrase, all models are wrong, some are useful? Here's the useful part. The theory, it's been embraced by psychiatrists, neuroscientists, researchers. It appeals to coaches because of the hand signals, psychotherapists because it seemed to give some biological credence to Freud's theory around the id, the ego, and the superego. Because, hey, they map nicely into the reptilian, limbic, and cortical brains. The model's still used in a large percentage of college-level textbooks. Non-academically, since this theory first came out, many authors drew heavily on the triune brain in their books, bringing the, the concept to wider audiences. I did a literature research, and, and here's a few titles. Some of them you probably recognize. 
Ghost in the Machine, Arthur Kessler in the 60s, late 60s. So the, the triune brain was the centerpiece of much of his work. Dragons of Eden, Carl Sagan's 1978 Pulitzer Prize winner. There was a novel in the 80s by Julian Barnes, Before She Met Me, where the triune brain is quoted. It goes on, the Lucifer Principle, thank you Jay for that, talks about that triune brain and explains certain aspects of human behavior. Stephen Johnson's 2005 Mind Wide Open talks about it. And recently, I was reading The Advice Trap by Michael Bungay Steiner, and the lizard brain makes his appearance there. And also, that was 2020 and 2016. He talks about it in The Coaching Habit with his concept of terra, tribe, expectation, rank, and autonomy, all wrapped in references to the reptile brain. And then the flip side of Box's famous phrase, all models are wrong. In researching this topic, I found out that since the 1970s, maybe 10 years after the theory came out, in many circles of evolutionary, comparative, and developmental neural science, this concept of the triune brain has been the subject of much criticism. So let's dig into some of the more recent stuff. There's a wonderful article titled, Your Brain is Not an Onion with a Tiny Reptile Inside from 2020. Author Joseph Cesario noted three major problems with the triune brain from the perspective of evolution. First is that model implies evolution is a linear progression from one organism evolving into the next. For example, lizards to mice to monkeys to humans. This is just flat out wrong. Mammals did not evolve from reptiles. We share a common fish-like ancestor. And the correct view of evolution is that animals radiated from common ancestors and within these radiations, complex nervous systems, sophisticated cognitive abilities evolved independently many times. The second part, the theory is based on the belief that the brain evolved with the more complex layers being added on top of pre-existing layers, like geological strata, it's wrong. Evolution consists of transforming existing parts. And then finally, there's an assumption in McLean's work that the cerebral cortex is unique to mammals. Wrong again. All vertebrates, reptiles, fish, birds, have a cerebral cortex, also known as that forebrain. So in my research, in summary, the theory is bunkum, senseless talk, nonsense. The triune brain's oversimplified, inaccurate in terms of our brain activity, our emotions, our behaviors. Modern research and imaging capability shows that the neural structures are not tied to specific cognitive functions. There is no hardwired lizard brain fear circuit. However, due to its longevity, the triune brain has been called one of the most successful and widespread errors in all of science. So now what? If the metaphor is wrong, is it okay to still use it? Is it dangerous? <laughs> are there alternative views? There's a lot of literature that's out there. It says that emotions are not pre-wired, but we construct them. 
now while evolution has done quite a bit of heavy lifting and we do in fact have swift acting threat detection circuits there's others additional ingredients that are processed by a network that builds consciously experienced feelings in the moment based on what's going on around us Lisa Feldman Barrett has a wonderful book called Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain. I'll include links to this and everything else I've thrown at you in the show notes. It's from 2021. She shares these ingredients. We have physiological sensations that we feel in our body. We have the situation we're in. We have the people we're with. Combine that with our memories, our personal experiences, and finally the language that we've learned to use to describe those conscious feelings. There's also that concept of a gut feeling, and maybe that's more based in science than we realized. There's a wonderful article that the BBC put out in 2023 called How Gut Bacteria Are Controlling Your Brain. It dives into the microorganisms and the how complex and remarkable this biome is and it turns out according to this article that these microbes that call our bodies their home can have a surprising amount of control over our brain and there's evidence that suggests that this gut microbiota doesn't just help to keep our brains in prime working order by freeing up nutrients in our food but it could also shape our very thoughts and behaviors so maybe you need to feed your microbes to nurture your brain. There's a wonderful TEDx talk that talks about how uh, an, a new view of this enteric nervous system goes just beyond processing the food we eat. 95% of our serotonin comes from this gut brain. There's another theory that consciousness is distributed in the body. And it doesn't exist in that three-pound lump of gray matter inside our skulls. It's called the polyvagal theory. There's our autonomous nervous system components, the parasympathetic, that deals with rest, digest, and repair. It's got ventral and dorsal. And then there is the sympathetic portion. And these neural structures are not tied to specific cognitive functions, but are impacted by a multitude of things, childhood development, adult development. There's this whole range of embodied cognitive neuroscience, which honestly is way beyond my ken. There's also this idea that as individuals, we are part of a complex adaptive system that depends on social context, or clans, or tribes, or... <laughs> value streams if you're in an agile release train and anthropology is part of that invisible architecture of the stories we tell and so maybe instead of that lizard brain myth lurking in every coaching conversation instead of us using a neuroscientifically and evolutionarily incorrect analogy what if we expanded our our palette the language we use, the stories we tell, they all impact our beliefs and our behavior. So it does matter. Another drop of wisdom from a Lisa Feldman book, 2018. 
Humans are not at the mercy of a mythical emotional circuit buried deep in the animalistic parts of our highly evolved brain. We are the architects of our own experience. So coaches, instead of blaming hard wiring or evolution, maybe we help people practice working out emotions in advance, priming, helping them deconstruct the ingredients of their response. What evidence, what inference, and ultimately help us all realize that we, not some imaginary reptile inside our skulls, are in charge. That's all I got. We're going to try to find some experts to join us, to help us unpack and, and go deeper. If you have thoughts you'd like to add, send us a comment or join us on our Discord server. Thanks for listening. Till next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast, signing out.